Greetings and welcome to the Eat at Lou's podcast, a gustatory adventure in culinary delights. I am your host, Lisa Beisinger, also known as Lou. And in this podcast, I cook up recipes from the past and taste them while talking about the history and science of food. In honor of St. Patrick's Day, I'll be making Colcannon this episode and talking about the history of potatoes in Europe. The recipe that I'm using is from a book titled Dr. Allenson's Cookery Book Comprising Many Valuable Vegetarian Recipes, which was originally published in 1915 and is freely available on Project Gutenberg. I'll link to the book on my website, eatatlose.com. The author of this cookbook, Thomas Allenson, was a British doctor, dietetic reformer, businessman, and journalist. In his work, he advocated a vegetarian diet and the avoidance of alcohol, tobacco, coffee, and tea. Doesn't sound like a very fun guy. But he especially promoted the benefits of whole grains. Among his publications were books about stomach diseases, avoiding vaccination, wholemeal bread, and a book for married women. His opposition to vaccination brought him into conflict with the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh and the General Medical Council, and thus he was struck from the medical roster in 1892. The most common vaccine of the time was the smallpox vaccine, and since smallpox has since been eradicated because of the vaccine, he was completely on the wrong side of history there. However, he was not always on the wrong side of history. His conflict with the British medical institutions was not the only controversy that his work caused. His book for married women advocated the right of women to choose the size of her family through birth control. Because of this advocacy for women's choice, he was prosecuted and convicted under the Obscene Publications Act in 1901. As an advocate for wholemeal bread and healthy foods, he bought a flour mill, established a bakery, and wrote a cookbook. Allenson's original bread recipe is still sold today in England. Dr. Allenson's Colcannon recipe, as I mentioned, comes from his vegetarian cookbook. It calls for one large cabbage, one pint of mashed potatoes, two ounces of grated cheese, two eggs, one ounce of butter, one half salt spoonful of nutmeg, and also salt and pepper to taste. It's important to note that the American pint and the imperial pint are not the same. Dr. Allenson is referring to the imperial pint, which is equivalent to a little more than two and one third cups. Dr. Allenson instructs the cook to boil the cabbage in one pint of water until quite tender, drain the water off to keep for stock, and then chop the cabbage up fine. Next, I'm supposed to mix it with the mashed potatoes, butter, seasoning, and grated cheese. Then I need to whip up the eggs and mix these in with the rest. Finally, I have to press the mixture into a greased mold, heat all the way through in the oven or in a steamer, and then turn out and serve with a white sauce. I already made my mashed potatoes and cabbage, so it's just a matter of adding in my other ingredients, pressing them into a mold, and then steaming the whole thing. Now I'm having my recipe because this is gonna be a lot of food for me to eat. I have almost a quart of cabbage cooked. So this is gonna be actually a pretty big recipe. So I have my mashed potatoes all measured out, my cabbage, 
and mix that in. The proportion of cabbage to mashed potatoes is a little heavy on the cabbage, just a heads up there. So I'm gonna add in my butter, salt, pepper, and nutmeg, cheese, and egg. I just need to stir all of that together. And the bowl I chose to steam this in is definitely not big enough. I fetched another bowl and right now I'm pressing the mixture into the slightly bigger bowl. And it looks like I'm just barely gonna make it. So I pressed my cool cannon into a bowl and then covered it with aluminum foil, rolled up the aluminum foil so that it wasn't hanging down so that it kind of created a lip around the edge of the bowl. And then I put another layer of aluminum foil on and then tied a string around that. The reason why I did it this way was to keep the moisture from going up into the bowl so that it isn't getting into the bowl and making my cool cannon all soggy. So this needs to go into a water bath in the oven for about an hour. And I have the oven set to 300. I just set my timer for an hour. My cool cannon's in the oven steaming. Cool cannon is a traditional Halloween dish, but in the United States is often made for St. Patrick's Day as well, which is why I'm making it for my very special St. Patrick's Day episode. The word cool cannon is from the Gaelic Kalkanenin, which means white-headed cabbage. According to tradition, charms were mixed in with the cool cannon. And depending on which charm you found, it would tell your fortune for the next year. If you found a button, you would remain a bachelor for the coming year. If you found a thimble, that meant you would remain a spinster. A ring meant that you would get married and a coin meant that you would come into wealth. I did not hold with this tradition of hiding charms in my cannon because I'm the only one who's going to be eating it. And that would make my fortune a little confused. I would be married, but I'd also be a bachelor and a spinster at once. But I would really love to come into some wealth. I'm a poor grad student. There's also a folk song about Kokanon. I'm going to sing a little bit of it. So if you don't want to hear that, I, I forgive you. Go ahead and skip. Did you ever eat Kokanon made from lovely pickled cream? With the greens and scallions mingled like a picture in a dream. Did you ever make a hole on top to hold the melting flake of the creamy flavored butter that your mother used to make? That was the first verse. The chorus goes a little bit out of my singing range, so I'm not going to subject you to that. As I've been reading through articles about Colcannon, there is a lot of variation in the recipes. Unlike Dr. Allenson's recipe, most recipes call for onion. Even in the folk song, they mention scallions being added, but he didn't have any in his, so I didn't put any in mine. Some recipes call for bacon, and some replace the cabbage with kale. Supposedly, there's a huge debate over which one it's supposed to be. There are people who are very heavily on the must-be-cabbage camp, and there are other people who are like, no, it isn't right without kale. Dr. Allenson's Colcannon is the only one that I've seen that calls for egg and cheese. One thing that all of the recipes have in common, however, is the addition of butter. And most of the recipes actually call for more butter than what Dr. Allenson calls for. So if we're reducing Colcannon down to its essence, it's a combination of mashed potatoes, cabbage or kale, and butter. And sometimes a little cream. 
Methods of cooking vary a good bit as well. Some recipes call for boiling the cabbage, like Dr. Allenson's recipe, but others call for it to be sauteed. The potatoes are typically boiled and mashed, but some recipes call for them to be steamed and mashed. I boiled mine just as I boiled the cabbage. Dr. Allenson's recipe also calls for the whole kit and caboodle to be steamed or baked, whereas most of the recipes that I've seen just combine the ingredients in a skillet and serve. Even the folk song that I sang a little bit of, in the chorus, they mention it being served and cooked in a skillet pot. Now that we've talked about Colcannon, and my Colcannon is bubbling away in the oven, let's talk a bit about potatoes. While potatoes are often thought of as synonymous with Irish cooking, this wasn't always the case, since the potato is a relatively recent newcomer to Europe in general and Ireland specifically. 16th century Spanish explorers were the first Europeans to encounter the potato in its native South America, where it had been cultivated for millennia and they brought their discovery with them when they returned to the Old World around 1570. The potato was introduced into Ireland around 1590, but for its first 160 years in its new home, the food was mostly eaten as a supplementary food, as a winter and famine food for the poor, and fed to animals. It became a staple food for small farmers between 1750 and 1810, with it gaining popularity throughout the 19th century as new varieties were developed. Potatoes were found to be the perfect famine food because they often survived when grain crops failed. Potatoes were cheaper than many types of bread and in some cases more nutritious, plus they did not require a grist mill for grinding. By 1845, potatoes occupied one third of Irish arable land. For laborers who rented plots from landowners who were only interested in raising cattle or grain, potatoes were a huge part of the diet. An acre of potatoes and the milk from one cow could sustain a family indefinitely, even if the diet was a bit monotonous. In just 250 years, the potato went from obscurity to a staple food. Well, if you know anything about the history of Ireland, and Irish immigrants to the United States, you know where this is going. In the early 1800s, a strain of potato blight began to spread in the Americas. This blight spread to Europe in the 1840s, and in 1845, it hit Ireland, and it hit Ireland hard. Because of the extreme dependence on the potato among the Irish poor and the lack of genetic diversity, Ireland was devastated by the Blight's arrival. The Irish famine between 1845 and 1849 led to approximately a million deaths and roughly a million people emigrated. By the beginning of the 20th century, when the deaths and emigration slowed, the population of Ireland had dropped to just 4 million people, down from over 8 million in 1841. So it was truly devastating. There probably wasn't a family in all of Ireland that wasn't touched in some way by the potato blight. And on that note, I'm going to let Michael Cannon finish cooking in the oven, and I'll be back in a little bit for the tasting. Every time I go to turn out something from the oven onto a plate, I have these dreams that it's gonna come out perfectly and it's gonna look so lovely. 
Yeah, that didn't happen. It never happens. So what you're going to see whenever you go to eatatlose.com to see the pictures from this episode, you're going to see a reconstruction of the Cannon. I did, as instructed by the folk song, make a little well on top and put some butter in there. And then as I eat it, I'll dip it in the butter. It looks pretty good. It's potatoes and cabbage with a little cheese added. But don't get me wrong there, because as somebody of German heritage, potatoes and cabbage are my happy foods. So I'm actually looking forward to this. There's a lot of cabbage to potato. Snicket thinks I have salmon for her. No, that's the next episode. This is really good. It's so yummy. The only thing it's missing is a little bit of onion, which I can easily saute up and add. I mean, not a big deal. Just want to stand here and eat all of it. I'm one of those people who would just saute up cabbage, eat cabbage raw, put it in soup. I love cabbage. That was a well-appreciated dinner. And I would definitely eat it again. I absolutely love Cool Cannon. Best thing ever. I do want to try a different recipe, perhaps one with onions, but I definitely recommend it. Good St. Patrick's Day dinner. I cut the recipe in half, so I wouldn't have to eat Colcannon for the next five days, but it still made a good bit of food. The proportion of the cabbage to potato was perfect. I liked that it had more cabbage than potato. It was absolutely delicious. The only thing I'd add is some onion. Well, that is it for this episode. I hope that you have a really wonderful St. Patrick's Day, or you had a wonderful St. Patrick's Day. Our next episode will be about British war rations, continuing the theme of potatoes. But that is it. This has been the Eat It Lose podcast. I am Lou, your host, also known as Lisa Beisinger. And until next time, I wish on you many great culinary delights.